Well, yeah, that's that. It's a convention for all those guys. Like they have to be down here to show their faces to all the buyers and all the team reps that are around for the team stores and all that BS, you know. Yeah. And they're sales guys, so professionally they're alcoholics. This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. Just had brunch. I'm already drunk. I'm Sanders, and he's Liv, and we are two sorry excuses. Liveroo! What's up, Sam, man? Hey, man. Hey, what's going on, man? How are you? Uh, still, uh, still grieving a little. A uh, solemn and somber 14th edition. Of two sorry excuses. 14th? Yeah, 14th edition. Yeah, I believe so. I think we need to get this post-mortem out of the way. Yeah, no kidding, man. No kidding. So, we have just uh, wrapped up our first loss of the season. Losing to an inferior, less than mediocre Boston College team. A brutal, sloppy, grind-it-out overtime loss to a visiting Inferior Boston College Eagles. I didn't realize how bad they were. They're terrible. At least on paper. Um, well, they're pretty bad on the court, too. <laughs> except for tonight. Well, but they've been pretty bad tonight. Problem is, we play, we let them, we played terrible because we allowed them to dictate the game. Well, that's because th- playing not to win ever since we beat Duke. Um, I think that's a good point. That's They took the game to us. They slowed it down. Um, I don't know if you watched the the um, the post game interview um, with the BC coach. Yes, but the coach will be fired in two or three years. But he basically said, "Listen, we we set out to to play an ugly game. We thought we could win an ugly game, and we did. And that's exactly what happened. Um, it, it's it's not a game we haven't seen all year." You know, the, they yeah. uh, a team tr- tries to come in, tries to grind us to a halt, tries to win ugly. Um, this just happens to be the first team that could do it. Well, the problem is we play in their hands. You know what we should be doing when we get the ball? We should be taking it to our mismatches on the inside and not going into our half court offense. Well, there was a couple. There were a couple trips down the court where I thought we were going to get into that rhythm. We had um, we had a few transition baskets um, that our defense caused. We had a few um, trips down the court where Fair was able to exploit 
um, a pretty sizable mismatch inside. But other than that, uh, we, we just weren't able to, to kind of bring the game to them. Well, the problem was we didn't try. That's what I'm saying. We had those mismatches all night. We could have taken the ball inside all night. But we didn't. We were settling. You know, instead of just like penetrating the lane, get it in, dish it off or whatever, we were content, oh, we're going to do what BC's doing. We're going to sit here and run a half-court offense and then take a shot. You know, we could have put the pressure on them by continuing the score. You know, we don't have to go right into their mode, but, you know, a lot of most times this is what we've been doing when teams do this to us, which they've been doing to us most of the season, these inferior teams, you know? Yeah. I mean, come on. We got Grant Christmas and CJ Fair down there. Why aren't they getting more touches around the around the rim more frequently? Yeah, Christmas, who had a a, a few good games, uh, really looked like he was starting to to come into his own without having to split time with Coleman and and Kate on the bench. But he um, had a rough game. He was only one for six. Did have eleven rebounds. Um, yeah, scored nine points, but. With an undersized BC team, you gotta you gotta be able to take advantage of that inside a little and we more had than it we all did night long, and we didn't take advantage of it. Yeah, it's just crazy. I would have forced them to change up their game plan from running the clock down to five seconds every time. You know, I thought coming into the game, I thought this was gonna be uh, this was gonna be a game that was gonna give us a problem, not necessarily because. Um, we were looking ahead to the Duke game. I don't. I don't think that's the case. I think when you're the number one team in the country and you're undefeated, uh, and every game is under the microscope, I, I think you do take one game at a time. And I don't think um, Beheim lets games get away in terms of preparation. They might. We might let them get away in terms of execution, but in terms of preparation, I, I think we we kind of have a you know our eye on the prize. But. Um, BC was a it was is an undersized team. They were going to look to slow the game down, and they were one of the better um, three point shooting teams in the ACC. And their record doesn't indicate that that is a strength of theirs. But that's when when you have a a, a team that can shoot high percentage from beyond the arc. All they need to do is is get hot. Um, I don't necessarily know if that was the recipe they used to beat us although they they did they shoot hit a 50, bunch of three-pointers in the second half they shot 50 percent from behind the arc so yeah and they shot well above that in the second half i'm pretty sure and that's what's um that's what's going to happen you know a shooting team is going to get hot and you know if they're controlling the pace and making their shots Oh man, it's that's that's tough to counteract, especially when the counter. Well, that's the problem. We kind of played into their hands. We allowed them to do that. We didn't, you know. We can dictate pace too. If you know, you know, if you're taking the ball on the inside, not settling for the, you know, we were we've been doing that against these teams. You know, we did against BC the first time. We're just like, oh, all right, we'll 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 play that game if that's what you want to play. The problem is I think we've been playing too tentatively, and no matter what they want to say, being number one and being undefeated was too much. So maybe they'll be playing to win again because they haven't really played like a hardcore game like the team we think they are since they played the Duke the first time. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily 
um, subscribe to that theory in the sense that you know you want to get the monkey off your back, you want to take a loss, you don't want to you know carry that pressure into the tournament. But just in terms of you know in prepar- in terms of preparation, in terms of you know stability, the the interview requests certainly you know have increased over the last few weeks. The you know the the off court shenanigans are certainly present yeah. at, at, at you know at a school like Syracuse when when things are going well all the attention is focused on the team and you know they 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 move up that that pantheon of of you know immortality in terms of kind of being gods on campuses it goes back to the Derek Coleman Billy Owens days when they would drive you know matching Jeep Cherokees and park them on campus I mean, park him on the quad and walk to class, and nobody would say anything to him because, you know, they're they're Billy Col- they're Billy Owens and Derek Coleman, you know, they're they're yeah. celebrity. So you know, Ennis hits a last second shot. They're talking about best shot in Syracuse history. You're talking about undefeated. You're talking about going back down to Duke. You know, to to keep things rolling, that kind of stuff. People feed into that. People play into it. I don't think it's an X's and O's issue. I don't think it's, you know, it's it's you know, it's a probability game. I think it's just it gets in their heads. It gets into preparation time. It gets into you know post practice, post game, and hopefully now we drop down. We can refocus and and kind of get things rolling back. Um, to, to when though? When was it? When was it fun basketball? When was it, you know what, this is special? When was it, you know, this the team... Game. The when? Saturday night versus Duke a few weeks ago. Okay, so that's not too far. That's that was the peak of it. Ever since then, they've been playing the tight. You know, that night they were up, they were ready to play. You know, Syracuse, we're an underdog program, man. We don't like to be number one. And no matter what you say about Jim Beheim taking it game by game, and I understand that. Uh, we're still dealing with 18 to 22 year old kids, and we're still dealing with human beings. And you know, heavy is the head of he who wears the crown. You know, it doesn't matter what field you're in; it's always going to be pressure on you. I think that I, the only I was hoping they would get past this game because I figured once they played Duke, regardless of the outcome, um, well, now regardless of the outcome, I still think they'll be amped up for it. I was just hoping they would get past it because. You know, once they play a team like Duke, they're going to come out and play, you know, balls to the wall regardless. You know? Yeah. And now I think they will anyway. It's just that it gets us out of the way. They don't have to sit there, oh, sweating it out to the last. It doesn't matter anymore, you know? Like like Bill Murray said in Meatballs, it just doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, so with that behind us, we can look at look at a few things. Um, one, we can look ahead uh, to the Duke game Saturday, seven o'clock. Um, but Duke's got some business to take care of before they get to Saturday. Uh, tomorrow yeah. night they reprise the um, the UNC game that got um, that got snowed out, iced out, inclement, weathered out. Yep. So they have to drop that into um, 
and into UNC their, is playing very well right now. And you exactly UNC is um, is definitely a um, a team on the rise. Um, they've got some bad losses on their um, on their schedule or on their um, resume, but some pretty impressive. Yeah, but they're wins. in the tournament if it goes today because they've been they haven't lost in a while. They've turned it around. Well, they start out like zero and four, maybe in conference, and now like seven and four, eight and four now. Carolina's eight and four in the conference. Um, Duke is uh, ten and three. We are now twelve and one, and Virginia thirteen and one is actually on top. Nobody talks about Virginia. Yes, no one does. Because no one cares about Virginia. Although I think some people are going to be sorry that they didn't talk about Virginia. Uh, once tournament time comes, I think... What are you, repeating Lafonso Ellis' talking points here? <laughs> Why, did he... Are uh... you going to say they're going to the Final Four right now? Oh, he picked them? No been talking about them. He picked them to fight for the Final Four tonight? He said it on the game, which seems pretty crazy to be making that bold of a statement in uh, February. Mid-February, mid to late February, mind you. Yeah, UNC lost their first three, then they beat a BC team, uh, and then lost to uh, UVA. So they were a one and four to start the conference seven play. Straight now, but they've ripped off seven. Yeah. Uh, with they they be in the tournament today, and really Duke is their only um, is their only test with uh, with Wake Forest, and then a bunch of. Uh, a bunch of chumps before they finish the season at Duke. So you got to figure they'll be in. Um, but I was doing some, some conference comparison a little earlier this week when I was looking at the top 25. ACC's got four top 25 teams, but two of those are Big East teams. And if you were to include yeah. Syracuse and Pitt with the top 25 teams in the current version of the Big East, Big East would be the number one number one team uh, number one conference in the country again. So, as fun as the season is, um, obviously, you know, being number one in the country, obviously beating Duke um, is certainly, you know, kind of kept my attention. I still I still go back to, you know, to that what if. What if the, you know, the Big East was, you know, was whole, how much fun would that have been? But, you know, it's kind of moot at this point. Yeah. Um, you know what else I'm surprised with the top 25? Although I shouldn't necessarily be surprised. I don't think Pitt's in the top 25 anymore, huh? Um, no. I mean, they, they lost two games last week. They dropped out this week. You're right. Yeah. Um, Pitt, Pitt's kind of, with the exception of how they played against us, they've been kind of mediocre. They haven't really beat a legitimate tournament team yet. And they certain, they don't get any style points for, for, for the wins they do have. You know who doesn't get any style points? Friggin' Syracuse for wearing those ugly ass uniforms. You uh, do not wear orange jerseys with blue pants. The throwback jersey was orange jersey and orange pants, orange shorts. Well, wear the orange shorts, damn it. 
the the consolation is that was an actual that was a nod to an actual color scheme that existed at one point. Um, I don't I don't remember when I want to say twenties, but I don't think it necessarily went. Yeah, it looked like intramural basketball, man. It was awful. You don't you don't wear that. It all every team that's ever done that always looks terrible. I remember the Wizards a few years ago wore some uniform that they had with the gold top and the and like black shorts or something. Back in the day, like twenty something years ago, Valparaiso, uh, like just because they were like a small university, they had a lame uniform like that. It wasn't a throwback. That was just their uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> like that's ridiculous. I saw they had some picture posted that Nike had made orange shirt, orange shorts to go with those uniforms. You know, when you're playing ugly and you're looking ugly, things are going to be ugly. The scripted jersey was nice. Uh, I didn't even mind the blue shorts if they would have had a blue jersey. Exactly. You can you can't mix match the colors. Uh-huh. It looks it, it looks bush league. It always does. It doesn't look good. Well, I think back to those Indiana wore that um, mismatched top bottom. But they had striped pants. I want to say in like the late seventies, early eighties, something like that. Um, that was probably the last major program yeah, to to take such a fashion no no and make it part of their their uniform. Yeah, but it's terrible, man. Low level, like. Junior high, middle school teams aren't wearing uniforms that ugly. No, they were they were pretty bad. But luckily, we can wrap it all up, put it in the books, move on. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Let it be. Uh, I guess it's better if BC beat us as number one when it matters as opposed to uh, Duke beating us as number one, taking us out of the undefeateds, and then Dick Vitale can wax poetic about that for the next 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> about Duke's great triumph over the undefeated Syracuse basketball team. Um, I don't know if you saw this, the uh, the graphic that they flashed. They actually flashed it twice. Um, this is this is BC's first win over a number one ranked opponent since 2009. 2009. Yeah, not that long ago. <laughs> If it's unless it's like 1948, you know, unless it's it's something that didn't really happen in the general population's lifetime, I don't find a, a lot of value in in those tidbits, those those uh, precious pearls of wisdom. 2009, yeah. some of these guys were on the squad in 2009. Yep. Oh, 2009. That was so long ago. <laughs> that goes all the way back to my uh, last year of law school. Uh, uh, all right. Well, we can move on from there. We got Duke coming up this weekend. It's going to be a stressful, rocking game. Um, I think we are liberated now. We can now get back to playing Syracuse basketball. We don't have to sit there and play against teams that are going to walk the ball up up the court against us like, you know, like BC did, like Notre Dame did, like every underman, mediocre, uh, heavy, 
uh, goofy white guy having a team that depends on shooting the threes to beat you. Yeah. All these CYO teams we have to play. You know? It'll be a fun game. They'll, they'll you know, they'll bring a, a, a faster pace. They'll, they'll take it to us. Um, you know, they'll run. I imagine that we'll get somewhere, you know, in the 70s, maybe even high 70s. And, and you know, that certainly bodes well for us. You know, kind of let Ennis get out Yeah. in the open court. Get some transition buckets. It'll be a fun game to watch, guarantee. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be fine. I mean, we just gotta pick up that defense again too. That's another thing. We were being lulled to sleep by them. You know, they weren't playing. Uh, they weren't forcing the action, trying to, you know, get the turnovers. Whatever. Well, one of our big problems, and it. It's going to be an issue going forward, especially if, if you know, if Kata can't come back or, you know, is going to he be on the shelf. He tonight. What's that? He did play briefly tonight. Yeah, um, which is, to me, Let's hope it's not- yeah, to me, that's a little, a little scarier than not playing at all, because not playing at all means, you know, they they kind of rest them. They were looking ahead. You know they want him back full strength for the for the Duke game, um, but to have him go in, you know, kind of looks a little like that that Coleman That's situation. Let's hope it's not like the Dewan Coleman issue. Yes. Yeah, which is a which is something that's a total bummer. Um, <laughs> so tickets for the Syracuse Duke game one are non-existent. Um, Duke tickets. Typically, are, yeah, of course. Are, are very hard to get. They're super small. Uh, the, yep. venue, the venue's super small, but there are there are thirteen tickets available on StubHub, starting at four hundred and ten dollars for parking. Damn, twenty one hundred to get into the game. Ridiculous. Upper upper baseline. Row P, which is basically uh, in the corner, last row of the of the venue, uh, twenty one hundred bucks. Yeah, it's all right. I'll pass. That is unbelievable. That's like Super Bowl. I just had to spend six hundred on my tires today. I don't think I can afford it. Uh, do you have to get new ones or just yeah, get them yesterday serviced? Yeah, yesterday I had to. Yesterday I drove. Um, I had to go to a trial about 70 miles away, and I was out there, and my buddy who I work with, he saw my car. He's like, man, your tires are about done. <laughs> you might get a blood. I looked. I was like, yeah, they are pretty bad. So I was like, I got back home last night, just glad that nothing happened because he planted the seed of doubt in my head, and I looked at the tires, and I was like, yeah, these things are – I'm playing with fire here because I have had that happen to me before. Tire blowout, you know? Oh, really? Yeah, just riding around on worn ass tires. You know, <laughs> it's something you know I just don't think about for some reason. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, I better not get that done. So I go in there and I had the tires changed this morning, got a whole new set. And um, then tonight when I was leaving work, I look and you know they don't have the caps on the stem. I'm like, you know, for six hundred bucks, 
I should at least be able to put the caps back on the stems of my tires. <laughs> you know, and I don't have the time. I The time, it's not worth my time to go over and complain about the caps to the place to change my tires. Like, I know they'll give me the caps, but I didn't feel like doing it tonight. I'm not going to have time to do it in the morning. So, like, when am I going to go, you know? There's a point where it becomes ridiculous, you know? <laughs> I was in here three weeks ago and had my tires changed. You didn't put the caps back on. You know, where'd you bring it? This place, Tire Kingdom. It's like a yeah. big, it's like a chain place. Yeah, it's a chain, you know, tire joint. But like, you know, they took them off and they know to put the air in, you know, and they just throw them to the side or whatever. It's just annoying. You know, it just bothers me. Best. You know, I'm not gone to cheapy tire company where they're selling me a busted old used tire for 15 bucks, you know. Uh, best place I ever got my tires changed was when I was living in Brooklyn with Guy. And um, you, I literally would pull into um, some guy's garage. You know, just nondescript garage door. Flies open. Yeah. A couple guys jump up. Wave you in. And they they you know they change and rotate. Your tires like they're a NASCAR pit crew. You're literally out of there, and yeah. you know, in in five minutes, and never had any issue, never had any problems. My problem is like after I just dropped the six hundred bucks on getting my tires, they come in there like, oh, your brakes are gonna need to be replaced, both front and rear. <laughs> and they're like, you want an estimate? They give me the estimate. It's like I don't have time for that today. I gotta get to work. They're like, all right, give me the estimate. It's like another. 475 bucks or something, you know? And I'm like, alright, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get that done when I'm actually fearful of my life. I and literally... And I hit the brakes and I'm afraid that I'm not gonna, like, stop. Um, my last car, I literally put all four tires on. It cost me 800 bucks. Yeah. On the drive home, it started to overheat. I pulled into the, um into the service station that I use. They're like, well, you need a new water pump. You know, you can't go anywhere. All right, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Whatever it costs. Another 400 bucks for the water pump. I drive it home. Two days later, it's starting to overheat. Like, you know, the engine is seizing up. I bring it back to them. I'm like, what the hell? We just, you know, we just put in a water pump. They're like, all right, hold on. Let's take the water pump out. Oh, it wasn't the water pump that was a problem. That was a secondary cause. What the real cause is, is your engine head blew a gasket you know you you got to get a replacement engine or we gotta you know resurface the block or whatever uh it's gonna be 2500 bucks i'm like i just put brand new tires on this motherfucker yeah you got you can't do anything with it you're done yeah you literally burned eight i literally burned 800 bucks i had those those tires for four days before i had to scrap the car did you at least uh I got Take I got a twelve hundred sell them or something. I got a twelve hundred dollar trade in for the car. Damn! It, literally, I you would have got the twelve hundred with the old busted tires on them, probably. Exactly. Be- yeah. Because I turned the engine off and coasted into the dealership so they wouldn't see the smoke coming out of the out of the hood. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess they took a look at the tires and thought <laughs> they were getting themselves a steal. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, so what else, man? How was your week with uh, with Duff? 
Uh, you know, hung out with Duff and and Fab Pat a bit. It was pretty good, you know. I was planning on at least trying to meet up with one of those guys on Friday. But then, you know, it was my sister's birthday, so I never made it back out of the house because of that. And um, Fat Pat's like, well, let's go get breakfast in the morning, which you kind of have to accommodate Pat when he's in town for that stuff because most of the time he's working. So he doesn't really have time to hang out in the middle of the day or hang out at night, you know, because stuff's gone on. He's got to be dressed in a suit, running around, dealing with the game day operations or whatever, you know, uh, making sure all the web content's getting out to where it's supposed to go or whatever. So, uh, you know, got up in the morning that Saturday, uh, watched that USA-Russia hockey game, you know, and then that thing went a little longer than expected. And now I got Pat, and we had a good breakfast. And he's like, yeah, he's telling me, he's like, you know, come around tonight, you know, maybe I'll get you this party they got with. Uh, Kid Rock, which killed me. I was like, Kid Rock playing an NBA party makes no sense to me. <laughs> Seems more of a NASCAR guy. Uh, Although he's from, to, he's from Detroit. He's not from Detroit. He's from Michigan. He'll even say that. You know, he's from a ways. He's from he he's from Detroit the way the Patriots are from Boston. <laughs> uh but uh, and I found that pretty funny because he was telling me the last two years it was, you know, it was hip-hop guys, you know, what you would expect at an nba theme party. Right. So I was like, it rock, but he's like, it's a Turner party, whatever. Well, uh, later on the day, I went down met Duff and all his uh, cohorts, the, uh, the Adidas sales staff people, uh, the various salesmen. Wait, Adidas and, uh, or Reebok? Well, Adidas and Reebok are the same company now. Are they so really? I, I guess specific. Yeah, they, Adidas, I think, bought out Reebok, you know, in the last t- decade. And uh, Adidas is the one with all the uh, the merchandise contracts in the uniforms and everything in NBA, you know? Right. So, like, you know, they're down here for all of it. I think Duff, I think, used to do a lot more Reebok stuff. But I, I don't know if he still does a lot of Reebok stuff, but... Yeah, I know he was, you know, tossing out a uh, bunch of all-star gear, swag and stuff, you know. That's got to be uh, a totally different scene than hanging out with Fat Pat. Pat's running around doing official league business and Duff's down there glad-handing. Well, yeah, it's a convention for all those guys. Like, they have to be down here to show their faces to all the buyers and all the team ups that are around for the team stores and all that BS, you know? Yeah. And they're sales guys, so professionally they're alcoholics. So they're just so like the whole time he's in town, it's just getting ripped, you know. So he got in touch with me, you know, Saturday afternoon around twelve or something, and he's like, "We've well, just had brunch. I'm already drunk." <laughs> Tough stuff. So I went and met down with him. I met up with him around four and his friends, and then. You know, he's like, we'll go to the we'll go to the dunk stuff, you know, whatever. But we were just drinking the whole time, and you know, before we could go, we had to go back to the hotel where him and all the reps were staying. So we didn't get down there to like eight something, but it was um like it was well like the 
skills stuff was already done, you know. They were still on the, when we got there, they were still on uh, the finals of the three-point contest. But um, they had a shuttle, you know, a bus running from the, um, running from the hotel where he was staying to, to the arena. And that night, there was also the first parade of the season running on the other side of the court, through the quarter and to the other side of the quarter, you know. So all the traffic, you know, you got the all-star people, all the regular traffic, it's all being funneled down like two main streets. So you're just, so even though we're in the shuttle, which on a clear day is a five-minute ride to the arena, we're sitting there forever, you know, on this bus. And we get on and there's one guy on that bus. It's a huge, huge bus, you know, like the ones you would rent out to take a a trip of uh, a a old ladies Christian group to the casino for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and there's one guy and there's five of us getting the bus and then we're in traffic and a guy comes knocking on the door. The bus driver opens it up. Guy asks him to go to the arena. He's like, yeah, he gets on. He's He's got a knit cap on, a suit, and some type of NBA pin. He, he appears to be about six foot eight tall. You know, it's like, oh, this guy's definitely a former basketball player. That's the thing about this is the second time they've had the All-Star game here, so it's the second time I've been around that. Right. It is a convention for former players. Like, every tall person you see is like, oh, it's got to be a former player. You know, even guys who aren't recognizable and probably never were recognizable even when they were playing, they'll be here. You know, it's crazy. It's just full of tall people. Right, because there's only uh, so many six-foot-eight inch people in the world yeah and 17 percent of people of seven feet people in america between the ages of 20 and 35 or something i read some statistic a few months back have played in the nba are playing in the nba are or have played in the nba which is ridiculous you know for the other heights it's still decent but it really goes to the roof that means you know those Four and a half to five and a half uh, seven foot guys out of every uh, five and a half guys that don't make it in the NBA. How, how sad does that have to be? Yeah, that's great. That's crazy. Seventeen percent. That's crazy, man. Um, I mean, that's a you know. Uh, I think like six foot eight. You know, it's a certain percentage, but it's nowhere near seventeen percent. And I even said something to my brother about that when we were leaving the game Sunday night. I was like, this city right now probably has to have the highest percentage of six foot five and taller people running around than anywhere else in the world at this given moment. Because they're just walking around the arena, all these tall guys, you know. And you get, and all the greats are there. You know, I didn't see Dolph this time, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, when we were on the bus, that was right. I had to follow the game on Twitter, and that's right when you were texting me. You know? Yeah. About the NC State game, which was closer than it should have been. But then, um, and uh, like right after that, you know, that's when that guy got in the bus. Duff starts saying, well, what's the over-under on this bus uh, getting to the uh, arena? You know, was it 15 minutes? And start debating it. And the tall guy in the suit sitting behind us, who has now removed his knit hat, you know, he had a nice bald head. 
he is uh he he chimes in. He's like, Oh, y'all think it's gonna be that long? He's like, I gotta get on the court. You know? And he's like, uh, he's like, Where are you guys from? And then I'm like, Well, I'm from here. And I'm like, where are you from? He's like, Well, I'm from Ve- Las Vegas, but I'm also from a town called Plymouth, Michigan. I'm like, Oh, all right, that's cool. He's like, Yeah, I played in the NBA. I'm like, <laughs> oh, who'd you play for? He's like, I played for the Knicks and the Lakers. Uh, so we just kept shooting a breeze, and I think Duff was saying God knows what. Everybody was a little tipsy at that point. And then um, I'm like, well, I got to know who the hell he is. And uh, at this point, Duff and his friends, Duff knows me, but his friends were amazed about the type of random trivia. I know, because like, Duff was making a joke about it earlier that day. Like, Liv, who's the 33rd president? You know, and I said it. So it became a joke that I knew random stuff like this. <laughs> and, uh, and even before that, I'd spoken about the blog because I was like, hey, Duff, uh, Sanders says hi, you know. And I was telling about our blog, I mean, about our podcast. And they're like, what the hell you all talk about, you know. <laughs> Just giving me the business, you know. And, uh, and I'm like, well, well, what's your name? He goes, Spencer Haywood. I'm like, Spencer Haywood? I'm like, aren't you the guy that filed the suit to get rid of the the minimum age requirements at NBA? He's like, yep, that's me. And I don't know if you know about Spencer Haywood. I do know about Spencer Haywood. Yes, it's a Supreme Court case. Haywood versus the National Basketball Association. Spencer Haywood went to Detroit, the University of Detroit, and he was there before Dick Vitale had become coach. uh, Because I asked him about that, if Vitale was there yet. Uh, if you didn't know, that was Vital's famous coaching stop was at yep. Detroit before going to the Pistons. Yep. Uh, uh, he's, he was, uh, he played there and then he signed a contract with the Denver Rockets of the ABA who are now the Denver Nuggets. And he's like, well, I was playing with them. I was like, oh yeah. And they didn't have a rule against it. He's like, no, they had a rule against it. They just changed it. Cause it was the ABA. Everything was on the fly, you know? Right. <laughs> uh, so the next season since he had cleared since he was already a pro he's like well screw it i'll go play the nba so he had two contracts gone you know he 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 was telling me all this he had a contract with, with the sonics and i guess he still had one with he must have still had the one with the denver rockets you right, know right and uh and basically because of that forced the hand to bring the case and he got all the way to supreme court and he won i was like i was like yeah maurice claret brought that same suit that same type of suit. He's like, yeah, but he didn't listen to me. He screwed up. You know, he's like, uh, like Duff and all them were like, how the hell do you know this guy? This guy is that guy. You know, like they couldn't believe, you know, that, because once I said that, the guy was loving me. I'm like, can I come over and take a picture? He's like, yeah. And then I was talking to him the whole time. So the game was good. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Basically missed the second quarter. Cause we had to go meet Duff to have a beer with him, you know? <laughs> and, he, those games move so fast, but it it was it was awesome. Next year it's going to be uh, they're splitting it. I think the game's going to be a Madison Square Garden itself, but the the uh, skills, the dunk contest, and all that I think's going to be in the Barclays Center. So, oh, all right, that makes sense. I suggest that if you if you've never been to any of that stuff, try to go to it. It is pretty damn cool, man. Hell. During the during the three dunk three point during the dunk contest in the middle of it, Vanilla Ice played. 
How can you go wrong with that? Wait, he he put on a show? Nick Cannon was the MC for the for the uh TNT production. They have this huge stage set up. And you know it's funny, six years ago when I went to the All-Star game and all that stuff, it wasn't nearly as big of a production as it was this year. And that was only six years ago. They got this big stage and Nick Cannon's MC and everything. And he brings out uh George Gervin, aka aka the Iceman. You oh, you know George Gervin is? Absolutely. He, yeah. So he's like, We got trivia for you, George Gervin. He's like, which ice is it? And they got on a big screen set up. They got vanilla ice, ice cube, or ice tea. And they're asking these trivia questions. They're like, this guy was a star of his own TV show. And it's like, well, gee, I don't know who that is. And then it's like, uh, next one was, oh, I don't know. It was something that didn't really narrow it down. And the third one was, this guy's biggest hit song. Start out with this with this hook, whatever. And it goes bum 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 bum. And then like basically the lights come on and it says vanilla ice. And vanilla ice is out there with a bunch of dancers singing singing ice ice baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's so damn over the top. It's awesome, man. <laughs> Wait, are you trying to sell me on it or sell me to stay away from it? No, I'm trying to tell you go to it. It is something you need to experience. It is, it is the Super Bowl halftime show times ten. The whole weekend of events. It's all like like that pregame stuff when it was bringing out like the, the biggest hip hop guys of the past ten years, past fifteen years. It was just crazy. It was like dude after dude. It was like and when Snoop came out, Busta Rhymes. It was like come on, man. It was crazy. You know, it was like uh, it was like being at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame concert. You know, this all star cast of hip hop guys on the stage. Well, the upside is awesome. is Duff will be in town, so setting Duff loose in New York City might make it worth it. Oh, you definitely should go hang out with Duff then. I didn't get home. We we so we left the Kid Rock party, Duff and I. Ah. Uh, and we went to go meet up at this Adidas party at the House of Blues where 2 Chains was playing, who is a apparently a rap star. Yeah, okay. Uh, who I'm familiar I've heard with 2 Chains. Uh, I mean, I know of him, but I'm about as out of touch with that stuff as a middle-aged, middle-class white guy could be. Uh, so we were in there for about five minutes, and Duff wanted to just get out of there. So uh, I went off with him and the other guys, like his boss, who's this guy, Steve, uh, who's like, you know, he's like one of these, he's like one of these legendary figures, you know, he's like 55 years old and he's been working this circuit probably for like 30 something years. (laughs) And uh, so we went off and I dropped something on the street. I went down to get it, got up. Never saw Duff again. You know, I <laughs> uh, eventually, I I went to one bar off one of the side streets there, and I hung out there for a little bit. Got up and I went to Pato's, thinking, "Well, maybe Duff will be in here." I ran into Fat Pat again at that point. Literally ran into him. I walk in and I bump into a guy. He turns around. I'm like, "Oh, Pat!" Hung out with him about five minutes. Then I 
you know, I should have just got in a cab and gone home, but I decided to go to one other bar, you know, thinking Duff and them would materialize, not aware of the fact that he was probably already in his hotel bed at that point. Right. Um, start nodding off at the bar. The head started tilting uh, a bit at that point where they told me to leave, so I went out and got a cab ride home. Got home around five-something. Uh, Sunday was miserable. I haven't had a night like that in a long time. Probably so since the last was, time Duff was in town. Yeah, exactly. So I met with Duff. I, Duff and I started exchanging text messages again next day. It was around 1. I was still in bed. He was still in bed. And I finally went and met up with him again around 4. He was telling me, him and all his buddies, they want to listen to our podcast. So I need to hook him up with the uh, with our URL, you know. He's like, you know, I'm like, wait, they really do? The guys that were making fun of my podcast? <laughs> He's like, yeah, after they listen to you, they, they, they think you're really funny. They want to listen to it. So I'm going to have to hook them up with that information. Maybe we can get three more listeners. It'd be pretty nice. Although I don't know if this is the episode that's worth introducing them to, even though we do talk about them. This is yeah, a, yeah. A solemn. Get them on the greatest hit, the best of episode from a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that was a pretty good one. That was a pretty yeah. good one. Although, holy fuck, it's Lee Zurich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. If, if that's not a primer, I don't know what is. Yeah. Um, Anything Lee else, man? Zurich, man. I, I think I was talking some Lee Zurich smack this weekend. <laughs> I'm sure you were. Oh, I definitely was. Probably to Lee Zurich. No, I did not see Lee Zurich, unfortunately. Kind of wish I would. Because now if I see him again, I'm going to have to yell at him. I'm going to have to ask him how's Rob Langdon's balls. <laughs> uh, on that note, man. All right. It's been a good, this has been a good episode for a somber episode. Yeah, we needed one. We needed one. All right, man. With the- look, hopefully we'll have something good to say Saturday night around seven o'clock, my time, eight o'clock yours. I'd expect it. I'd expect it. All right. With apologies to Girk's brother. We'll see you next week. All right. Take it easy, Sam, man.